This is Sid Haig for Nightmare Junkhead. Listen, or I'll come over there and put my boot all up in your ass. and out of your consciousness like a bad dream you can't wake from this is the nightmare junkhead podcast a horror podcast whose go-to karaoke jam will always be total eclipse of the heart my name is greg d i'm genius mcgee and on today's episode our summertime slasher shenanigans finds us getting grody to the max as we get meta with 2015's the final girls and whether or not you have a famous relative you can listen to our show Simply search for Nightmare Junkhead wherever podcasts are played, hit subscribe, and when we drop our latest episode, it will download directly to your listening device of choice. All up in your slow-mo hole. <laughs> and if you happen to get Wi-Fi in your AV cabin, uh, you can find us out on social media. We're on Twitter, at Nightmare Junk, and on Facebook, at Nightmare Junkhead. And it is on that book of face where we have an events tab, which again leads to... Shenanigans and meta shenanigans. And as this episode is going to release on Friday, July 16th, if we're talking shenanigans, genius... Oh yes, shenanigans. Screenland, they have your shenanigans taken care of indoors... Outdoors. And virtually. <laughs> and the shenanigans, oh my goodness, with this, the film that is going to be playing on Friday, July 16th, our latest Friday Night Fright... A movie that I know is very near and dear to your heart. Oh, I fucking love this movie. A movie that actually participated in our very first Into the Mouth of March Madness tournament. Mm -hmm. A movie we actually have a commentary, commentary to on yeah. the main feed, uh, 1987's Creep Show 2. Oh, man. Thanks for the ride, lady. I'm growing out my hair right now as we speak just to like get, you get, paid, and full, laid. get paid and lay that full William Castle experience. It's... Over here, lady. Mucho ecological bancho. I know a lot of people like myself really like Creep Show too, but they love the original Creep Show. Mm -hmm. But there is a growing movement of people like yourself that love Creep Show too. Creep Show too is rad as shit. Fucking chief, you know, even chief, old Chief Wooden Greg in front of the house. Oh, yatta hey. You know, you got you got to show honor. It works its way into the show and into real mm -hmm. life. Oh, that yeah. is how much of a That's one reason why I won't go swimming, dude. Seriously. They're like, "Oh, come in the ocean and help us clean up some oil spills. You got to help the animals." I love animals, don't get me wrong, but at the same time, fucking if there's an oil slick right there, no. No. And especially don't turn around and say I beat you. Yep. Always keep moving. Hubris. Always keep moving. Hubris Persephone's don't look back. Mm -hmm. It'll come back around to that here in a second. Uh, but then also indoors, some of the repertory screenings that are happening is a movie that we've seen multiple times now in the theater, and it's one that definitely needs to be experienced in the theater. But we're going back to 1981, I believe, John Carpenter's Escape from New York. Ooh, A number one, the Duke of New York. We'll come back around to Donald Pleasance again as well, <laughs> strangely enough. This is one of my favorite uh, Carpenter scores, and I just love the contrast between Russell's performance in this 
and then his performance in Big Trouble in Little China. Yeah. Where he's channeling his Eastwood in this one, and then the John Wayne. And he's just, it's just a cool movie. It is cool. Escape from New York is just a cool movie. And a Carpenter regular that shows up, the guy that plays Romero and the, <laughs> which is almost <laughs> like, can you imagine if he had, do you think that he and Pee Wee encountered each other in an alleyway? Just have a hiss off. <laughs> What's going on? And then like, do he just becomes best friends? Yep. yep. And then <laughs> Pee Wee's bike would actually come accompanied with the um the chandeliers. With the chandeliers, and they would just escape from New York on the bike. <laughs> that's a little cartoony. But quite honestly, the other film that is playing that's repertory is very cartoony because it is directed by one. Joe Dante, Ooh. the burning, the the burning. Yes, the <laughs> ladies now, and gentlemen, the burning. Now, for anyone that wasn't at that <laughs> Friday night fight screening, no, we are going to be screening Joe Dante's The Burbs, Sardine, the Clopex, which is one of my favorite Dante flicks. It's one of my favorite Hanks performance. It's got got Carrie Fisher. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's got Rick Dukeman. Eating, chewing through the scenery, literally and figuratively. Oh, yeah. And speaking of chewing and eating, it's got one of my memories, that burb viewing that we did on uh, oh. Nerds. With, yeah, that was... Where we ate the sardines, one of our first ones. Yeah, that was a mistake. I ate... Mine were hinted, not even hinted, slathered in hot sauce, which I really thought would disguise the flavor. Nope. But it wasn't the flavor, it was the texture that got me. Yeah. Yeah, I, w- I had basically the same reaction that Hanks does in that as well. I had a lot of weird stuff on that show. <laughs> yeah, between that and joysticks. <laughs> right. It's probably a good thing, actually, we're not doing that right now for your digestive system. Right. Much like Biscuit, you know, cleaning <laughs> it out. the trash out. That's right. <laughs> well, a new release that is also going to be debuting this weekend, and another one that I'm going in totally blind with, but uh, Nicolas Cage's new flick, Pig. I'm going blind into it. That's how I want to go into yes. it. That's what I want to see. I want to see it. It's Nicolas Cage and a pig. I've heard a revenge film. And it, hey, listen, the last time I went in blind with a Nicolas Cage revenge film. We got Thurman Merman. Oh, sandwiches. <laughs> Two of my favorite all-time theatrical going experiences built into that. Do you like the Carpenters? I like the Carpenters. But I'm keeping my expectations low, but I have heard a number of really good things mm-hmm. going into that movie. Uh, now, of course, if you're not comfortable going uh, indoors, understand. But Screenland, uh, there are two outdoor films. Uh, starting on Friday, a film that's a contemporary film. And I mentioned that because I had an embarrassing, embarrassing old man moment when I went and I tried to watch this film the first time. And I say tried because uh, that Friday... On the um, the sixteenth, they're playing Into the Spider Verse. I really like that movie. I, I wish I could have saw it in the theater. I, <laughs> or maybe, or maybe not. Well, let me tell you, genius. I I try. I did see this in the theater. I but this is one of the rare films that I walked out on. Now, before anyone is like, "Hey, old man, what was your problem?" My problem was this: I knew going in that they were doing some different styles of animation that it was kind of experimental, it was not going to be run-of-the-mill. So I knew that going in. But from the get-go, when I was in theater one, it's so plain as day, but for some reason, all I was seeing were kind of like what I thought were 3D effects or mats, mm-hmm. the way, because again, the animation is different. So I went out and I went out to Jacob and I was like, hey, I, 
I think there's like a 3D version going on. He's like, no, it's not 3D. It's, uh, you know, this different kind of animation. He was very kind. He was basically not saying, hey, old man, it's not 3D. It's different. You need to adjust to it. It's not Disney, Grandpa. (laughs) (sighs) So I go back in, and and that's going through my mind, and I still can't adjust to the animation. And I'm like, how is this not 3D? How is this not the 3D version? What is wrong with me? Were you having like an un- uncanny valley shit? Because it does look very like very in depth. That, sh- yes, it's sh- that's probably what it was at that point. But I, I couldn't adjust to it, and I, I had to leave. I just could not adjust to it. Now, <laughs> so apparently, like going to see it in IMAX, like that, oh, I would have been overwhelmed. <laughs> I would have been crying. <laughs> I would have just probably been glued to my seat. But I went back knowing. It was not a 3D version that, hey, old man, just adjust to it. Get into it. I fell into the flow and absolutely love that movie. It is so much fun. Mm-hmm. It brings the tears. Uh, the score, the Prowler bits are very horror-esque. Yeah. The like, Prowler bits are dope as but shit. But the animation is quite incredible. And once you adjust to it, it's just so much worth the time. Now then on Saturday, a film that they actually did outdoors as well, and a film that deserves to be played outdoors, uh, Twister. Mm. That is such a good movie. Yeah. That is such a fun, like, old-school disaster flick. Well, because much like the old-school disaster flicks, they jam it full with great character actors. Yeah. Uh, including the late, great Bill Paxton. Mm-hmm. Uh, the late, great Philip Seymour Hoffman. Uh, it's just, it's, but it's, it also has a cow. Everybody loves floating cows. Flying cows are Everybody wonderful. Everybody loves fl- flying cows. Flying cow, but cannot cannot hold a handle though to flying pig. No. Do you remember flying pig from the kids in the hall? Mm-hmm. The, wow! What a lineup! Hi, I'm flying pig. Look at me! <laughs> yeah, well, poor flying pig. But he tastes delicious. <laughs> he but he left a son of flying pig. Yeah. <laughs> now the kids in the hall. So sorry. So sorry. Now, if you live from afar. And you would like to support Screenland. You're like, you know what? We can't make it to any of those movies. Well, all you need to do is become a member of their film family. And you can do that by heading over to patreon.com slash Screenland. And amongst the many things they have with their perks, they have the Screenland podcast. Uh, they have a number of watch parties. But we contribute once a month a thing called our Shutter Shoutout, mm-hmm. where we watch two films streaming on Shutter. So at this point, hopefully you're all subscribed but if you uh, if you become a member of their film family, we provide some exclusive content. Uh, we put together it's a customized pre-show. We do an intro. We have some yakety smackety afterwards. Trailer reels that go along with each film, mm-hmm. which is always a lot of fun. So we kind of home get, game. It, it is. We just it's make it game. a movie night mm-hmm. to get that kind of content. Uh, again, head over to Patreon.com/screenland. But oh, it should be noted. Our next Shutter shout-out will be... I'm looking forward to this one, too. A little slice of Romero. Yeah, we're making some room for Romero on July 31st. We're going to be watching both said Creep Show 2. Oh, I'm, I'm always excited and ready to talk about that one. And uh, one that's going to be a first-time watch for me, uh, the newly discovered amusement park. I'm glad this is discovering as I'm older, from what I hear. I, I don't think this would play if I was, like, 18 and, like... I th- understand it is of a particular time, right. potentially. Yeah. Which, hey, I'm all for that because I think I'm of that age. Mm-hmm. Me too. So <laughs> both will be first time watches. 
But genius, if we are talking uh, film family and Patreon, hey, bellies. we indeed have our own little film family that we're cultivating there on Patreon. And it, it just so happens we have a brand new film uh, member of that film family. All right. And what's great is we actually know kind of extended members of his family. He is a co-host of Who the Hell Is This For podcast, of who we've had actually on the show mm-hmm. uh, for Into the Mouth of March Madness. But Riley, you rule, my friend. You guys are fucking rad. You're fucking rad, dude. <laughs> <laughs> now, it should be noted, uh, they cover a number of genre films over on their show. But one of the reasons I like it, first and foremost, is the chemistry between all the hosts. But secondly, going back to old man moments here, is they actually also explore a lot of newer stuff, stuff I'm not familiar with. But are you familiar at all with Demon Slayer Genius? The no. <laughs> is it the wow. game? Is it the like? It's an anime. No, I'm not. Okay, I, I don't. I am not that well versed in anime. Like I checked out some Naruto and. But I also dig like old school Ninja Scroll and stuff like that. Sure. And, and like I appreciate a lot of the stuff, but I haven't gotten into any of the series. Now, there's some shit that I know that I should get into because I know some people are like, dude, you would fucking love this. And I'm not opposed to it. I just haven't got around to seeing a lot of the stuff. Well, it's a whole new world that I have never really dipped my toe into. But what I love is with their latest episode on Demon Slayer Mugen Train. The last few anime that have played at Screenland, mm-hmm. they've played like gangbusters. Like, they bring out all sorts of anime fans, and there's a huge, huge, like, world of that. Oh, yeah. And it's intimidating, I think, is the reason why I'm afraid to dip my toe. But if you listen to Who the Hell is This For, they will be your guides into that, because that is stuff that they really dig. Like, they really, as much as we love. The Carpenter, well, they love The Carpenter, actually, but they love that kind of stuff. So it's a great great, great gateway. Uh, but Riley did mention, I asked him what some of his favorite summer horror movies are, since we're kind of in the midst of summer. Mm-hmm. And he mentioned, like, for the most part, a great movie to watch in the heat is The Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Oh, yeah. So Riley definitely has some good taste, but the sign of really good taste is he's like, this is a movie that plays well in the summer, but it also plays well regardless. Speaking of John Carpenter... Prince of Darkness. That is a good summer movie, too, because it is hot. Oh, yeah. That church has no air conditioning, and everybody's sweaty at the end. It's it's so good. (laughs) It is so good. Now, of course, at the tier that Riley is at, not only will he have access with some of our new horror reviews, of which our one we did last month, we had a chance to watch and see Werewolves Within, Mm -hmm. but he also has access to the said Shutter Shoutout content, and also... The little mini episodes I do three times a week called part of the the I've Seen That Challenge. And again, I'm challenging myself to watch a number of different films for the first time. And recently here, Genius, I had a chance to watch a film by one of my favorite Italian collaborators. This a famous this famous Italian duo by the name of Terrence Hill and Bud Spencer. Are you familiar with them at all? No. Okay. I mean, ish. It, you, by, by proxy, I've heard of them around circles, and I know that they're stuff. They but, exist. Right. Yeah, I'm pretty sure you're somewhat familiar or familiar adjacent, mm-hmm. potentially, but they were a very famous duo in Italian cinema where you could basically put them in any kind of a film, a horror film, an action film, a dramedy, 
and it would just they would induce shenanigans. Right. Um, they're most famous for the Trinity westerns, but I had a chance. I was watching. Uh, I was going through Amazon Prime, and it recommended me. Uh, it says this film, "Watch out, we're mad." And already the poster of the movie. It's got them basically going together back to back. It looks like something Rick Dalton would have starred in when he did his little Italian run. And I was like, okay, I'm going to give this one a shot. I'm going to watch about five minutes of it. And if I'm not into it, I'm going to find something else. The movie opens with a great, jaunty, almost cannonball-esque run scenario and um, theme. So I was like, okay, that's good, that's good. And the credits are rolling along. And the final credit, it says, and with Donald Pleasance. Oh, no. You know you're in for something good with when he's the and. That's just it. I went in blind with this movie, <laughs> and I had a moment. I was <laughs> Thank you, Amazon. You know me quite well. I felt no bad. No problem, Greg. <laughs> thanking Jeff Bezos on that. I was like, God damn it. So I went in going, okay, Donald Pleasance with my Terrence Hill and my Bud Spencer. I'm all for this. And... Let me just say, the film so exceeded my expectations. But I had a chance here. When we ca- I came over here to, before we were recording, uh, we were preparing, and by preparing, we're going through YouTube clips and just watching things. I go, genius, I just watched this movie for the, for the first time. I think there's a scene you'll enjoy. And he's like, really? I was like, yeah. And from the get-go, I don't know what happened. But there are these magical moments that <laughs> exist and occur in life that I'm always happy to be part of. And to see the genuine joy that sprung from you when this scene started was fantastic. And I just want to play a little bit of the theme, or I should say the soundtrack, of the scene we were watching. Um, you all are welcome. Now, I'm not saying we may have found our unofficial, maybe official (laughs) theme for shenanigans, but the minute this entire sequence started, Genius kept perpetually giggling, and the giggle would like escalate, (laughs) and it became a gaggle, and it just became overpowering, and as you noted throughout various repeated viewings and (laughs) listenings of this... That it was a theme of just pure shenanigans. Pure shenanigans, but it's a certain type of shenanigans. There's like a hierarchy of shenanigans. Certain shenanigan music cert- goes with like certain scenarios. For example, that 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 wouldn't go with like college shenanigans, or it wouldn't go with like mean spirited shenanigans. There has to be a level of absurdity and buffoonery. Buffoonery, I think, is key for those types of shenanigans to work. And when the shenanigans work with that music in particular, it produces magical results because that can make anything hilarious. It's almost yakety saxian because, like, it does breach that territory, which I think <laughs> is why there's just an immediate gr- pull towards that. <laughs> 
As you, this might be one of those themes where you can put it over anything, and it's going to make it a little bit more madcappery. Mm-hmm. But the fact, the fact that it fits well with this whole scenario because it's all it's, set in it's a, choir. a cartoon. Yeah, it's got it's, a whole. It's got the whole uh, villain assassin with the big trend and the the big black suit and the big black hat and the Terrence Hill and Bud Spencer are very much, as you said, a Bugs Bunny and Daffy Duck level of just they have to begrudgingly work together and mm-hmm. that's one of the kind of the the checking points of a spencer <laughs> hill flick this begrudgingly team up it's like i gotta put up and the fight scene in the gym is just <laughs> epic <laughs> it is they're fighting a bunch of like 20s bodybuilders of course what you'd see in a gym i think that was the first thing you showed me You're like hey yep. check it out and then like all of a sudden they're walking to this guy's gym and then and like you gotta go through the legs and open and i just giggled because though it's absurd because again you walk into a gym and it's just like out of what you would see out of a bugs bunny or a spongebob cartoon that level of absurdity because they of course when you walk into a gym all the fish are gonna have like come phineas because their name Phineas because they're fishes, right? Come, Phineas, and they're like lifting up those dumbbells that are like 500 pounds. That's the only thing that was missing from this scene was like those big triangular dumbbells that, that, that literally say 500 pounds on them. To see you react so well to that, I was like, okay, at one point we're going to... So this is literally... From I, the, I've seen that challenge too. It's going to be a backyard screening. But yeah, that was the opening salve. Just that yeah. little gym. And then, and then we went into the choir. Then, la, 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 la. And then like, yes, I just everything about that just gave me the giggles. I am dying to see this movie. I don't know if I can handle it. Well, it's Naked Gun buffoonery. Oh, it's it's, it's mad I, almost even beyond Naked Gun because uh, things just don't make any sense. You'll have a lot of fun. <laughs> it, it's one of those if you don't. If you don't get the humor, that's cool. I can see it turning some people off potentially. But if you get it, come yeah. on and hang out. Be part of our film family. And you can do that by heading over to patreon.com slash nightmare junkhead. Oh, also this weekend, if you're out and about, come say hello to us at oh. the Crypticon uh, at Crypticon at the Horror Club booth. Kansas City Horror Club. There yep. we go. Well, I'll be there uh, haunting those halls. So stop and say hello. And an interesting, it's it's we Crypticon did not occur, occur did not occur last year, mm-hmm. so it's going to be a very welcome sight, I think, for a lot of people. I'm looking forward to it. It's gonna be it's gonna be nice to see some old friends and get back into the con spirit. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, let me ask you something, genius. I think one of the things that we love, like with conventions, mm-hmm. is not only getting to hang out with people that love the same things we do. But sometimes then the the kind of the nerdy, dorky conversations that can come about when you get a lot of horror fans together. And I think some of them, the conversations, especially when they get really nerdy, but they like, genius, if you were somehow transported back to like an 80s film, uh, would you survive? No, but depending on the film, I'd be fine in. Don't dream it. I mean, it all depends on what film I'm transporting. So, okay, yeah, if we take you back to Shivers... That, I'm, I'm, you're, you're fine. I'm, I'm fine if I don't survive. Not a deal breaker. Not a deal breaker. You know, but if you take me back to like, I don't know, like. If we throw you to a Michael Haneke film, I know that's not necessarily 80s, but. No. 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 <laughs> but do you know maybe who your character would be potentially? Oh, yeah. I'm the party animal. I'm, I'm the I'm the comic relief. I'm the I'm the big fat guy party animal. You would have one. a Hawaiian shirt. Exactly. Or I'd be like, I wouldn't be Shelly. No, you would not. I'm not that pranker, but I'd definitely be the one like, we need to get the fuck out of here. I'd be like the Randy in Scream. That works. That works. You have some knowledge. Well, I mentioned that because the film that we're looking at as we continue the summertime slasher shenanigans 
is a movie that uh, it's hard to describe because I went into it the first time when after it hit the festival circuit. Uh, I believe I rented it on video on demand. I remember liking it, but not really being impressed by it because I think I went in and I was swerved. Mm-hmm. Um, how would you describe the final girls? No, I, I'm going to have to agree with you on that one. When I first saw it, I can't remember if I saw it in the theater, if I remember if I saw it at home, but I remember like, oh, okay, I want to check it out. And thinking that, okay, this is a slasher, this is a meta comedy, as in like a la Scream, or maybe even Behind the Mask. Right. Something, you know, silly, something more akin to like, hey, let's poke fun at 80s horror, as opposed to like taking the Kung Fury route, as opposed to the Turbo Kid route. That's fair. So that's what I was thinking, what what it was going to be, because it has all the hallmarks of a slasher. It's got like, uh, a meta slasher. It's got stars on there, people you recognize. Like, oh look, it's uh, Malin Ackerman, and 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 it's maybe right, and there's a killer in the background, so it's going to be like that. No, that's not what this movie is. This movie, I was telling you off mic. This is not a slasher movie. This is a movie about relationships. This is a movie about dealing with grief. This is a movie about um, anybody who's been in a horror movie. This is a movie f- uh, about. Anybody who loves horror movies, you know, yeah. this is one of those. I'm not saying it's a rare treat, like one of those, like, oh, it's gonna, it's life changing. It's not a train to be sawn type thing. Sure. But it's definitely not what I was expecting. It's not one cut of the dead out of nowhere. This is what it is. I, it, you had some good kills, but on this watch, I really delve deeper into what the movie was trying to say as opposed to when I first watched it. Because I was going in like, okay, where's the slasher? Where's the guts? Where's the gore? Okay, I cool. See, they're they're making fun of the 80s, but now what's happening here? Okay. Oh, I wasn't ready for that turn. Yeah. So upon this one, I was ready. Then I was like, okay, let's see it. The kills themselves almost become incidental mm-hmm. to the main purpose of the plot, and that is just it. It's about the grieving process, which... When you look at uh, the pedigree of the film, uh, directed by Todd Strauss uh, Schulson and written by M.A. Fortin and Joshua Miller, uh, both Schulson and Miller lost parents. And Joshua Miller, are you? does the name ring familiar at all to you? Mm-hmm. Sounds really familiar. A lot of horror fans will, be, will know him as uh, Little Homer in Near Dark. No shit. Yes. Uh, he also played the annoying little brother in uh, Teen Witch. Uh, he also played an annoying little brother in The River's Edge. He kind of had a thing. But also, his brother is Jason Patrick. Oh. And his father is Jason Miller, a.k.a. Father Karras. Huh. Wow, that's a pedigree right that's there. That's crazy pedigree. But he also had to deal with the fact that his dad was an alcoholic, um, died young, and... He even had talked about how watching The Exorcist was never therapeutic for him because it's just watching my dad die over and over again. Yeah. So when you learn that and you see what this movie, like you said, what it really is about, it makes so much more sense because this movie definitely is a way for them to deal with those demons and to deal with the grief of losing a parent. Mm -hmm. Um, And having said parent be beloved for dying in movies. Yeah. You know? Leads to an interesting 
conversation you can have about uh, horror fans in general. Mm-hmm. Uh, whether and well, I should say this movie does have a pretty poor representation of genre fans for the most part. It's like a cautionary tale. Yeah, like, don't be that guy. A cautionary tale because like even the whole premise of it, like, hey, come to this, it would be great. I was like, that's kind of rude as. Fuck. I mean, like... Get you in the Q&A? Yeah, can I put you down? It's like, dude, I was dude. like, oh, come on. Boundaries, man. Boundaries. Oh, Take it easy. It, it is so rough. But the fact that the movie is all about, like, if you had a second chance, what would you say to a person? You know, mm-hmm. do you have any... Because reg- regret is the worst thing in the world that you can carry after you lose someone, be it a person, a pet. You know, all those things, like, come into play. Oh, yeah. And... But what if you had an opportunity to talk with them, but it wasn't really them? Which is, there's such a weird existential vibe and dread to this movie. There is a lot. And and everybody, what could have been schlocky and stupid, well, not, I mean, as <laughs> even the, I mean, there's the B movie horror goes, which, the yes, go, yes. But everybody brings such great character development and dealing with the real world stuff, especially when, like, that all those emotion mixed in what you just said it shows a little bit in the trailer but that full scene when uh she, the daughter meets the mother for the first time and just that tear oh she is that just, just shock and what do i say and mm, what's going on it, just it's powerful yeah and my initial viewing again this is the only the second time i've watched it but because now knowing in advance what this movie really was and how it operates like you said it was so much better. Yeah, it was. And it played so much more personal to me now. And I'm not going to lie, also picked up a few more pieces of some references out there that I wasn't familiar with at the time. Uh, it's kind of crazy how this works. Uh, we mentioned uh, the writing-director uh, combo, but like you mentioned, the reason it works is the cast of characters. From top to bottom, Malin Ackerman who, let's just get it out of the way right now, yes, she, she is. She's beautiful. She's a treat. She, she, here's my theory about Malin Ackerman. She, not a theory, but a hypothesis. <laughs> she is what angels look like. You know what I'm saying? Like, if you, if I die and I go to heaven, which is doubtful, but if I die and I go to heaven and I'm <laughs> greeted by the seraphim and the Nephilim and all that shit, they're all going to look like Malin Ackerman. Now, while I, I prefer would be, would rather be with the succubus Audrey Plaza's, but at the same time, she, in my mind, she represents what, like, just a beautiful angel looks like. You know, it's hard for me to describe, but she's just immaculately gorgeous, and she's just so funny. And that's just it. She's got great comedic timing. She's one of my, one of the things that I loved with um, Children's Hospital, which was such a weird little micro show, mm-hmm. but was able to take all these. Excellent character actors from the state, basically, for the most part. But they included her within it. And her character, out of the character... Out of character, when she, do, 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 she doesn't speak any English. In terms of of she rolls with it. She's so good with that. And the, the pathos that she really brings with this performance, especially when you see at the very beginning, you see her as the struggling actress that you know had kind of a heyday back in the 80s with some horror films. But did you see her in CSI? You know, she's maybe, right? you know, doing some, which, and if you're doing like little side bits like that as a character actor, that's usually not too bad, no. right? And you're working. And yeah. then like saying, and then I'll never break the shell from the, uh, horror. of the horror, which, okay, which one thing, like also, it is a thing that I kind of picked up on it. It's a pity that a lot of these beloved horror actors, 
and genre actors that don't think that anybody gave a shit about them have passed before they could truly see how much love they actually got Had. and received. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, uh, you see, I'm sh- like Bella Lugosi, you know, until Ed Wood came along, he didn't even know people still loved him, you know? And now there's Lugosi cons. So, like, it's kind of a bummer, you know? And it is. That's what that shows to this. But then she also makes that mention of um, if you get into acting, never do a horror film because it's going to follow you forever, which is kind of true. Uh, but because, like, look at Jennifer Aniston. She, like, does not like to talk about Leprechaun. Right. But then look at Courtney Cox, who yeah. would, went full on with the steam. Or yeah. steam. Scream. <laughs> no, it, it, it's interesting, because, again, I know that the um, the stigma associated with it probably isn't as bad as it once was. Yeah, but, but it's, it's still kind of like, oh, it, you're in horror. Because mm-hmm. horror is still looked down upon. Mm-hmm. It's so. still the redheaded stepchild of the cinema universe. Which, a good. this is another good movie to point out that it doesn't have to be it's not all it's what looks on the surface to be a bloody slasher extraordinaire with a high body count you know it's not at all there's no no blood all the screens are most off kilt or just bloodless so yeah no a a good subversion of what people think horror can and will is well and then the way it starts as well is fairly horrific uh just with the setup of the car accident but it also introduces the song "Betty Davis Eyes," mm-hmm. which was Kim always Carnes. been a, a that's always a jam. She's that's, precocious. No, it actually starts out even ratter with the uh, the opening of the movie is the trailer. The tra- for the, oh, the trailer! The trailer is slick. When the movie opens with that Vestron looking uh, video verse entertainment, mm-hmm. I'm gonna say this right now: I probably would have watched. Many and many of things from Videoverse Entertainment. Oh yeah, based on the logo alone and the fact that they did Camp Bloodbath. Oh, I would have watched what Camp Bloodbath one and two. We'd probably be talking in alternate universe. We'd be talking about Billy with Jason and Freddy. You know what? We would host a screening of it, but we would have the etiquette and the decorum enough to know not to reach out blindly like right. the way. Uh, our Thomas Middleditch character did. Oh, and not to smoke in the theater. Who fucking does that? What monster smokes in the theater? It's the dangers you bring when you introduce the alcohol, my friend. <laughs> because is that the way that works with uh, just any kind of a vodka or anything? That, I guess. That flammable? Whoosh! You'd think there'd be a little bit more warning than the automatic, like, <laughs> Well, I guess it should be noted, as we do start with the trailer, it is uh, put through kind of the grindhouse treatment, just in terms of the filter. You'll be saying, kumbaya no. Kumbaya no. It has a tagline. Like, that is a realized universe, even though it is a fake trailer. I was sold on that movie, Clamp, Camp Bloodbath, through that trailer alone. It looked like one of those like trailer war compilations. Well, and it also is, I think, what everyone assumed this movie was going to be. Yeah. But it's not Camp Bloodblath. It is the final girls because it's all about the relationship between the final girls, mm-hmm. the one in Camp Bloodbath and the one in the final girls. Uh, it basically it eats itself here almost uh, inception wise. Not not to be confused with the final girl who came, what came out that year, which also starred Alexander Ludwig, who starred in this movie too. That's so weird. And then you have Tragedy Girls. Yeah, that came out very similar. So it's almost like that that span of time where we got like the Abyss, Leviathan, 
and mm-hmm. it's Deep Star Six. <laughs> but all with like names. It's almost like not quite it's like the asylum. And then you had Transformers and Transmorphers, or you had Pacific Rim and Atlantic Rim. Well but you, but they're all totally different movies. They're not like trying to ape each other. So do you think video verse entertainment is like the canon of their time? Or in that world? <laughs> yeah. There we go. Everybody like, oh, video verse. Well, a bunch of people like, yeah. Well, I guess it's not, it's a nice bait and switch, though. It's like, here is what you think you're going to get. Mm-hmm. Here is what the film itself is. And the moment that it goes from the real world into basically almost what we could call, like, last horror hero. Because if you played this with, like, last action hero. It would work. It would totally work. Because the moment that they are transported into the movie, into the movie like, the cinematography changes. The colors become so vibrant. Mm-hmm. And they just pop off. But... Before we get to that, oh my God, there's a moment in the movie where we get this lovely shot of a just a full theater of people so excited for the movie, and it's just this crane shot that then goes to the front of the, the row with our, our main cast. It was just a reminder of like why I like the movies, yeah. and just that excitement that you get and the communal experience. Uh, when the Texas Chainsaw Massacre screened that night, we had a nice full crowd, and there was just... There's excitement in the air. Everybody's excited to see the movie. Yeah. Whether or it's they seen it the first time or they've seen it a million times. It's, it's so one nice. of their favorites. It's great. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just I just loved that moment. But like you said, the smoker screws up everything. Yeah. But then when we're transported... And did you notice the moment where they transported where she sliced the screen? At the exact same time as he was slicing? Her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the mom. It was like, aha! Aha! Yeah. Like a weird Freaky Friday thing. And even before, like, whole Chekhov's uh, Greek speech, where they're talking about learning about uh, uh, Persephone. Mm-hmm. I mean, everything in this movie, it was fun to watch it again. And I was like, oh, yeah, maybe! Al, uh, Ali Shawkat has put together, just between this and the green room, She's put a nice little genre run together. Mm-hmm. And of course, Arrested Development. Oh, of course. But like, she's in this movie that I haven't seen in a long time, but I remember really fucking loving. It's one of those little indie comedy darlings back in like the early 2000s when there was like thousands of A lot of them. Yeah. yeah, I remember. It's called like Bart Gets a Room, where it's about like this teenager who like, it's kind of like a, it's one of those weird early 2000s boner jams where a guy kind of wants to get laid but he's a sweet guy and he just goes by it awkwardly not maliciously type things where he's like man if he's gonna get a room on prom i need to if bart got to get if bart got a room then i need to like do something and it through shenanigans like light-hearted shenanigans and goofy shenanigans so would the theme play well behind that no no okay. no because it's not more light-hearted like, enough no, it's uh, it's it's still R rated, but it's like a light R. Okay, that's but fair. it's it's really funny, and uh, she's like one of the main characters. She's like her his best friend, and it's a really one of those funny ones. I haven't seen it in a minute, so I gotta vet it again. But because it's been there, a lot has changed since the early two thousands. Yeah, what we laughed at then, eh. right? Well, it, uh, she's a welcome addition to this, and she basically plays kind of the wisecracker mm-hmm. uh, that is. The best friend of the main character, as played by Taysa, uh, is it Taysa Farmija? Yeah, Taysia. Ta- is it Taysa? Taysa Farmija. There yeah. we go. She's Vera's <laughs> sister, I believe. Really? Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. And it's funny because they all that whole uh, Farmenia family is in all up in horror. 
Yeah. Oh, because she's been in a couple of sh- uh, American Horror Stories in season one. Yeah, and then Vera is uh, Lorraine Warren in the Conjuring. The series. Conjuring. Yeah. So. They well represented in genre, and actually, I think this film works so well is based on the chemistry between her and Malin Ackerman. Oh yeah. There's just a wonderful connection between them, and the aforementioned moment when she sees her for the first time. But then the moments when they're just kind of getting to know her, and she's like, "Oh, so where are you from? What do you do? What are your parents like?" And there's just, oh, just yeah, that, like, those moments of levity and fun that are broken up with like heartbreak, and not necessarily like in your face, ah, heartbreak, but no, like, it's, ooh, it's those little tiny like, oh, those little jabs that get you. And that again, I think because of the fact that Miller and Strauss both have lost parents. There's a lot of them in this movie, and you can definitely see them dealing and going through that process of grief. And mm-hmm. what would you do? Like I said, eventually when the characters find out that they are in a movie, there's that moment like you got, you're got you a character in a movie. And it's just like that, again, the exis- existential dread that comes from that. It's frightening. Yeah. But the chemistry plays wonderfully. Uh, but it's not all doom and gloom because no. like, there's some great. Because first of all, I like Tom Middlehitch. I don't like him in a lot of his roles because he plays like kind of an asshole. But I like him playing him. He's almost kinda... like the Randy of mm-hmm. this group because he's the one that has the knowledge of all the films. He puts together the little film marathon. Uh, he's the one that realizes initially they're in a movie because this movie, along with like Into the Mouth of uh, Madness, play Loop. And plays it well. There was a lot of great shots in this, and one them d- revealing that they're in a time loop when the bus keeps going, and they have that little like three sixty multiple. When they're trying spins. to escape, yeah, that was a very well done shot. I was like, oh, that's nice. It's very disorienting, yes. but yet you knew what was going on. It's perfect. And then like when they realize like it's a, they're on a ninety two minute loop, which is also the amount of time that the final girls actually is as well. That they're like, no, we this is going to continue until we advance the plot and of all the performances that i love in every in all these there's just they're great the standout for me just because of the way she embraced the role the energy she brought with the role the facial gestures every little thing angela trimber is so good in this one uh she plays uh goodness gracious tina tina. yes oh my lord going for it in this movie and kind of plain, I uh, kind of the slut character basically, but the embrace bimbo. the bimbo. Mm-hmm. That's a little bit more uh, aware, uh, but just embracing it and having fun with it. And every little bit, whether she is not on Adderall or uh-huh. on Adderall, she's already a ditzy like bimbo a- already. But then you add Adderall, she's like. Rah, rah. There was a line when she was like, when she's like, do you think she's? Like, I got it. When she just stops and like the whole like ditzy facade just goes on like I I got it. It's I was like wonderful. God damn that cracked me up. Who stole the show for me was and he steals the old show and everything he's in is Adam Devine. Something about that swarmy ass dude just cracks my shit up because he's so irrehensible and terrible. But you can't help but like you're a fucking douchebag. <laughs> Well, there's always that one character in any slasher film or horror films in general that you want to see die. Yes, absolutely. That, and you can tell he's having a blast mm-hmm. with this character. Everything from the explanation of the tattoo, which oh, they call me the cherry pick. Oh, oh, or the whole leg things like nice legs, 
What time did they open? Yeah. I was like, oh. oh, God. And he says it so seriously, and everybody's like, oh, dude. And just, it's the one of the things, it's this little things he does, like his looks. But when they're all singing, because he's like this really swarming eh, eh, guy. But when he's singing Kumbaya, Michael rode the boat ashore. Hallelujah! <laughs> like he's got the voice of an angel or some shit. Just and he's still being swarmy about it. It's as you said, it's the Jim Neighbors moment. Yeah, it is. It's total Jim Neighbors. Well, he's known for singing, right? He's in Pitch Perfect, is he not? Yeah, but I mean, I wouldn't say Rebel Wilson's known for singing. I mean, he's known for comedy. He's in work. Okay, that's fair. That's fair. So. See, I'm not familiar with his work, actually. I have not watched Workaholics. I have not watched Pitch Perfect. So I begrudgingly have seen Pitch Perfect, but I do enjoy I do enjoy Workaholics. Well, I, it's again, I'm not, I kind of can do an I've seen that with him based on that mm-hmm. material, but he, I loved him in this movie. And his comeuppance, actually, even though it's CGI, it's pretty grand for mm-hmm. the most part. Uh, would, this, would this movie have played better if it was more practical for you? No, and I think it takes away. Well, it, the kills and like, like yeah, they they just really yeah. There was but a lot of the kills were off screen or like they didn't make a big deal about they're it. They're peripheral. Like for example, like when most people die in that montage of death, there's hardly any blood. I mean, you barely see Tina get her head in the bear trap. That's true. So That's like, true. I don't know, but I if you took it all away. It would kind of look weird when like the walls would dissolve or something like that. I, I really love that moment when we Me go. We do the flashback, and then even when they're trying to step over the summer nineteen fifty seven flashbacks, I, a lot of that worked. I think it would take away if they did practical. But if they, You're right? But I think it would also take away from the story because if they yeah. would go practical, they would want to make it gory. You know, like an old school slasher. Sure. That's not what this movie yeah. is. Yeah, this is the anti pieces. This is the anti pieces. I mean, even. And some of the things it works with are just looks so fucking cool. This is a cool looking movie. That slow mo when they even mentioned oh yeah. no slow motion, that's fucking rad. In any other movie without the slow motion, that would be super super tense, and it is in this one. But you're like, they know they're in slow mo. Well, it's just so, it's super stylized. It mm-hmm. looks legitimately cool, and it shows up in the booby trap sequence and in the end chase sequence and. It's cool. Yeah. Uh, Eli Eli Smolkin is the cinematographer of this film, and again, once we get into film world, it just everything just just leaps off the screen. Mm-hmm. And I mean, there's multiple moments, especially at the end, the cosmic storm that's the, going on. Oh yeah, I was just waiting for Nicolas Cage the color, right? Because it looked cool as shit. Wait, was it an alpaca summer camp? <laughs> yeah, it was <laughs> camp alpaca. <laughs> <laughs> it's the camping of the future. It is. It is. Where you can learn to meld together with your fellow man. <laughs> oh wow, that's truly a uh, you camp uh, uh, camp uh, camp on a wanna. The, ew. <laughs> a horrible a team building exercise. That's what I was going for. Jeez Louise, <laughs> no, but I love that actually. It act- just adds to that going from Kansas to Oz kind of feeling uh, and stepping into something that is not real. So it's going to be hyper real, which is legit. I think. Kind of a nice little touch. And and it was a very nice touch, especially with a striking image against the silhouette of Billy. Because Billy himself was a very imposing figure. I liked the way that killer looked. I liked his mask design. Well, Billy Murphy is our, our, base, our basic Jason Voorhees. But he's also a little bit of Cropsy, mm-hmm. especially in his uh, origin 
how he came to be. With the whole prank. Yes, mm-hmm. a prank shenanigans gone wrong. I did like Billy Murphy, and but for the most part with Billy Murphy, that, that did not cross at all. <laughs> but the fact that you, we get a backstory with him, it is tragic. Uh, he has to seek revenge on those, so he's, he's someone that we should feel a little bit of sympathy for, a la Jason Voorhees, a la Cropsy, but he's also, I don't know, like, strangely, again, uh, just a peripheral character. Like, if this film was the Camp Bloodbath, we'd have Billy Murphy characters mm-hmm. uh, or action figures, but we don't because, like you said, it's he's just... He's the main antagonist of the story, but he's not the driving factor right. of the story. Yeah. He's just like... Your time is up. Yeah. He's going to kill you. So you make your peace now and figure out how not to die. But I thought it was interesting how like, the whole self-sacrifice of... Spoilers. The whole of self-sacrifice Max. of or, her mom. Yeah, her mom. Nancy. And Nancy. That's Nancy. It. Maybe a shout out to... Uh, I would assume for A Nightmare on Elm Street, mm-hmm. Tina as well. But um, yeah, just once she sacrifices herself, it immediately gives the daughter power. Mm-hmm. I thought that was both bittersweet and sad. The transference and yeah, and I wasn't the biggest fan of Kim Carnes' Betty Davis eyes before the second viewing, but I've grown to appreciate it. But now it's just kind of a bummer song. Oh, it is. It's now it went from a like a jam to now a bummer jam. So it's like, oh, I mean, I'm not gonna like be well up if it plays in front of like dogs and kennels like like Sarah McLaughlin. But at the same time, if someone sings Betty Davis eyes again, I'm gonna be like, well, mm-hmm. yeah. I'm just gonna imagine that little dance she's doing and the, the look of fear. But of acceptance and mm-hmm. closure, Malin Ackerman kills it in this movie. Yes, she she is legit, legit so good in this. I think she's underrated because she's great yeah. in everything she's in. I think she needs to be <laughs> in more stuff. I'll tell you, and it's a bit part, but her and um, uh, goodness gracious, uh, what's his bucket from SUV and uh, Harold and Kumar. Oh, Christopher Maloney. Christopher Maloney, her and Freak Show, <laughs> yeah. like legit, and also the fact that this movie is PG thirteen. So it is going to reach a wider audience, which I think is why we get less gore, we get no nudity. So uh, was this if this was a true throwback, we would have had the gore. We would have had the nudity. nudity. We would have had more pre- emphasis on the killer character, but no. This is just a nice a dramedy, a horror dramedy maybe? I would go with a horror dramedy because it definitely it's not going to satisfy the gore hounds. And I think when I first saw it, I was like, man, there should have been more death and there should have been more like blood. If I you're think I was in the same way. You know? yeah. But I didn't, not to say that I didn't get it. I mean, I understood what I was trying to go for, but I wasn't in that flavor of mood. I think mm-hmm. it was kind of a bait and switch, which is kind of like a bummer. But again, upon the second viewing, knowing what it is and what it's trying to say. Yeah. It, ah, man. With a spoon, I dug it. <laughs> Played like gangbusters. Now, uh, if you're a fan of. Friday the 13th, beyond the Jason Voorhees. Uh, we've got the yellow shirts, very reminiscent of the, the camp counselors in the first film at the very beginning. Mm-hmm. A little uh, a little sing-along as well. But a reference I didn't pick up the first time I watched this, because I hadn't seen the film yet, and we're talking about pieces a lot here, and there's mm-hmm. a reason for that. Uh, just, just you wait here, Friday Night Frights. But there's a moment when they talk about how one of the the girls with more experience mentioned... (laughs) Tina says that she loves to smoke pot and have sex on a waterbed. And I'm like, ha, 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 ha. I... Well played, Joshua Miller. When you throw in a nice little pieces reference like that, now having been, of course, very familiar with that film, 
oh, mm-hmm. I think I even texted you. I was like, yeah, dude, they just threw in a pieces line. And I was like, I was waiting for it. And I was like, oh, that's great. <laughs> right? I was like, oh, that's awesome. That's wonderful. No, this is one of those bait and switch movies. I'm glad it's not rated R. I think if it was rated R or if you think they would have leaned more into the gore, it would have missed out on a lot of what it was trying to say. And so this is one of those ones that it's it's like not quite necessarily the Batman of horror slashers. <laughs> it's not it's not what you want, but it might be what you need, you know, because sure. it could be cathartic and it could be like, you know, it was a good story. It was just one of those ones. I didn't cry, but I definitely was like, it's <sighs> like inevitability of things and like the one more day question, more, you know, just all that. And let's face it, as we start getting into closer to middle age and to later middle age, you know, you think of mortality and mm-hmm. the time that you've got left on this this earth and have you left anything behind that is forever, kind of like with film. Uh, you know, when any of our favorite actors or people that contribute to genre when they pass, you know, their spirit still gets to live on one way yeah. or the other. And I'm, you know, you kind of, there's actually that moment where he asks her, you know, do you watch these films a lot? And she's like, no, I try not to. It's just, it's tough to see your mom, you know, hacked to death on screen. Oh, yeah. Which I think is a line that's probably Joshua Mills saying, yeah, I can't watch The Exorcist. This is, it's rough for me. So yeah. it's little things like that. Now, the ending of the movie, which. Well, right. I, it oh. was a good use of the fuck. Because you get one in a PG-13 movie. Yeah. Yeah. It was no, a that good, does work. It was a good use of it at the very end. Speaking of the very end. Of the very end. No, I the ending actually I had kind of forgotten about. And the moment when I see everyone back, because I assumed um Allie and her other friend uh blew up in the first movie, but yeah. how they were miraculously saved, I it, again got me with the bait and switch. I'm like, oh, they survived the theater fire, it's they're they're good. No, 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 no. No, they're in Halloween 2. Yes, they are. Yes, they are. And the poster for Camp Bloodbath 2, very similar to The Burning, just the way he's holding up the machetes. Those two machetes. Yep. Looks rad. He's yep. holding up just like Scissors' Camp Bloodbath 2. I would watch the total shit out of Camp Bloodbath series, especially if they went from like Friday to Halloween to then probably maybe Nightmare. There we go, where, yeah. uh, the, where Billy Murphy actually becomes a dream demon. Maybe. I to am. the Billy. <laughs> it's in slow-mo. <laughs> <laughs> I legitimately kind of fell in love with this film. Uh, and I, I think it also shows how perceptions can change mm-hmm. and your viewings can... Uh, just the baggage you bring with each uh, viewing where, you know, something that you hated that first time, you watch it again, you give it, you give it another chance. Give it a second shot. Give it a little... Even if you like it, you can grow to appreciate it more. Now, that being said, I'm not going to throw it on the regular rotation, you know? And if I'm, like, thinking of, like, you know, I'm in the mood for a good slasher, I'm going to throw on the final girls. But I would definitely consider one of those great little underrated, underseen horror movies. And that's just it. I think it needs to find a wider audience. And it's definitely one where if I need the feels... I'm definitely going to watch it. Yeah. Um, if I need some laughs, I can definitely watch it. Because it's genuinely funny. There the, was, there was had, some genuinely good laughs in this. Song. I had fun with the movie, mm-hmm. and that's the, that's the main thing. I had fun with it. I had I enjoyed the pathos work, the levity worked, the kills were fun, even though they were very PG-13. Uh, the bit with uh, What's-Her-Bucket with the oven mitts, trying to keep her to not take her clothes off. I mean, there's a moment when she says something like, does he not like me because my boobs aren't big enough? <laughs> just the hurt in her voice. It's just oh, she's so she was she was the reason this movie worked so much better the second time for me. 
because of her embracement of the character. I think everyone Everybody, embracing their characters. Exactly. Everybody just is like, okay, we know what we're doing. Let's go for it. Let's do it. it. Let's have some fun. Every, and then the one thing, everybody had their characters grow or develop, even the little side characters, even even maybe got a side romance. The and like, new wave. New wave. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> now, I, now, the question is, do we need to see the Final Girls 2, or are we good as this with just as a standalone? No, this is a great standalone. This is, I don't need to see them get out. I think yeah. the story that was needed to be said is her growth and closure over the death of her mom, and that's taken care of. I mean, she's already now she's just got to get out of the movie. Then it would become a regular slasher, and I that's, don't think, and that would kind of spoil the point of the first one. It would be kind of betray the spirit of it. Yeah, yeah I agree. I agree. Well, I'm glad that his second movie after the Final Girls, the director was the Rebel Wilson uh, movie. If is in a romantic, where he's she's stuck in a rom com. Uh, he's got a style. Then just that movie within a movie. And let the shenanigans ensue. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm glad. I'm, I am glad, though. But that not we, like. Well, not those kind of shenanigans. Those though. are different kind of those shenanigans. Are, those no shenanigans are not present in this movie. No, they are the, the the normal shenanigans I would come to expect with a summer slasher film. We're kind of met, but subverted, and that's this movie is all about subversion. Mm-hmm. And I'm glad we watched it. I'm glad we included it actually within. But I think that's why it gets hate because I think because a lot of, of people like, man, I want to see people getting slashed up and all that stuff, and it's not delivered. It doesn't deliver on that. It's and not, well, we it's kind of like a f- false narrative. It doesn't it doesn't deliver on what you would think. And when you watch the trailer for it, not the trailer of blood, you know, of of uh, Camp Bloodbath, but the trailer for the Final Girls. It looks like it's going to be. They're just stuck camp in a movie, yeah. you know, and like they got to get out of screen. But it's a lot more than that. You it's know? so much more than that. Come for the meta, stay for the heart. Yeah, no, that could not have said it better. Could not have said it better. Now next week, the movie we're watching. It's been, it's been and I've seen that for me, so it's going to be a first time watch. Uh, it contains an actor who is no longer with us, unfortunately, and so guaranteed, we're going to spend at least an hour talking about. Their work uh, and so much more. Uh, final thoughts on the Final Girls Genius? I like it. I glad I gave it a second chance. Not that I didn't like it the first time. I just liked it a lot better the second time. Well, from a horror comedy to a horror comedy potentially. Next week we'll continue the summer slasher shenanigans. So until that time, this is Greg D. I'm Genius McGee, and we'll see you in your dreams. Ha! 